Our scripture reading is the background for our text. Our text is actually one verse. Actually, it's one word in one verse. But I'd like for you to hear the whole context if we can. This passage of scripture is familiar to you because it is the immediate events that follow Peter's preaching. In fact, it's the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came seven weeks after the Lord had been crucified and buried and risen again. And he's preaching to the large multitude. Almost all of them were some kind of witnesses to the events of the trial and the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. So there's a lot of context. We're going to look at one word today, but hear first the word of God. Stand, if you would, for the reading. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The one verse is the verse, is the text for our series, and that is verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The one word that I want us to look at this morning is the word fellowship. But in the text, it has the definite article. It says, the fellowship. That's why your title has that troubling all caps for the. And it's important because when we speak of this, it wasn't just they had in mind some amorphous idea of fellowship. I was raised Baptist and the most important building room in the building was the fellowship hall not what we would call the auditorium, not the sanctuary. Love Fellowship Hall. I went to a little church one time to pastor and they had a sanctuary that would seat about 185 people, but they didn't have over about 25 in attendance. So we just figured out a way, and it was easy to do because of the architecture, to strike about half of that square footage out, move the pews out and put in tables in the kitchen and, and, a, and a, a water fountain and everything to make a fellowship hall. And then before you knew it, we didn't have enough seats in what we had left as sanctuary because the fellowship, just simply the fellowship, drew the people in. And we had a wonderful time of fellowship. And I think of fellowship. I think of those ice cream suppers, you know, after we would have the youth meetings and the time when we would gather for the dinners and all of that that would happen and every Wednesday night and on and on and on. Fellowship Hall was an important place. But 
I think that's the very thing that the article, the definite article in the text is trying to get us to move beyond. It's not fellowship in a generic sense. It's the fellowship. And the word is konenia. It's a very familiar word. We know it. And it has a, a specific meaning in the ancient world. It, it meant certainly fellowship and is rightly translated, but it had the idea of participation, to share. It had the idea of partnering. It was that which really, that same word was used often to concern all of society. In fact, the structure of a society, the things that a people had in common. This word is used all the way back to Pythagoras and, and Plato, Socrates, the Stoics. They had a theory of the state, a theory, a theory of the commonality, a theory of how things work together, how people hold together and how they relate and how they share. It was an idea, it was a social idea. It was a grouping, it was an adhesion. We like to call it around here connectedness. This is what the, the fellowship is. And it's endemic to the meeting of the church. You don't have this coming together. You don't really have church because the admonitions that the apostle Paul gave over and over in his epistles as to what we should do, he says, and when you come together, and that is the essence of God's people in congregation, moving together. Not only that, it went beyond the idea of just a gathered group for some purposes. It, it had the idea of sharing. Uh, it was used with respect to enterprises, partnerships, marriages, legal relationships, friendship, the sharing with each other, as well as the idea of citizenship. Over and over and over in the apostolic writings, you'll see this word, one another. In fact, Paul uses it 17 times alone in his letters, and we see on and on where we are to love one another, we are to forgive one another, we're to bear one another's burdens, we are to confess our sins to one another, we're to be hospitable to one another, and on and on it goes. It's this one anotherness that brings us together. This really meets the need, the hunger of the human heart. We have a need to belong, to be part of it. I think sometimes and occasionally accidentally preach the way I think of the beehive, the beehive of the Christian church. It's believe, behave, our being, our becoming, and it's also important, our belonging. We belong together. We belong to each other. We share. And this is the snapshot we have here of the nascent church, the early church, the primitive church in its earliest moments. They've just come from the great preaching of Peter where he has exhorted them and has preached Jesus and him crucified and raised from the dead and the center of all of Peter's preaching is Christ. And now this fellowship comes immediately. What is it but a fellowship of Christ? It is those who believed were added to the church. It's a believer's fellowship. I know of a church that even adopts that as its name. It's a believer's fellowship. That's exactly what we have in this little group as we see them gather. Now they've gone from about 100 and 
20 in the upper room and out into the plazas and the porticos of the temple and now there's several thousand of them. And our scripture says that day by day they kept doing certain things, going to the temple, praying, breaking bread. And the Lord kept adding to their number those that are being saved. This was the very thing that Peter had exhorted them to do in the very beginning of the text. He said, he exhorted them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. And it's interesting to me, if you read down to the text a little further, it said, the Lord saved them from this crooked generation. It is by the mighty power of God that we're saved from the crooked generation in which we live. We must call upon him to deliver us from this generation. The exhortation is to save yourself. But if you're going to be saved, it's going to be the Lord added to their number, those who are being saved. And so this fellowship grows together. Christ had anticipated this with almost everything he did. He, he issued constantly a summons, come, come follow me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Over and over the Lord had an invitation. Sometimes it even took the form of a summons. It wasn't just come by open invitation. It was you must come. You'd better come. If you don't come, it will not be well with you. And he warned and he exhorted and he pleaded with people to take his yoke and to follow him. And his parables reflected that the kingdom of God was like a banquet. It was, it was like a, a meeting together where you eat and you enjoy. And the Lord over and over told his people to come. The scripture said here, and I had to start somewhere. I couldn't back up too far. I'd end up reading the whole book of Acts. But if you back up a couple of more verses, it's interesting. He says, Peter preached to them and they said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the promises to you, principally a Hebrew audience, Jews, to your children and to those who are far off how wide does the invitation go? It goes to the Jews. The salvation is to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. It goes to the children, the covenant children of God's covenant people. And the call goes to those who are far off. That's me. That's most of you. We're far off. We're separated from the commonwealth of Israel. We are alone without God in the world. We are pagans. We are Gentiles. We walk according to the flesh. We do the works of evil. We stray, we sin, we have no hope. But that has been brought to us in Christ who widens the door of invitation absolutely to 180 degrees open. That's the fellowship. Who's excluded from the fellowship? No one. Who's preempted from coming? Who's prohibited from coming? None. All you who labor, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I had to stop right here, and I'm glad I don't, I enjoy preaching, I want to preach for a couple more minutes. But if I had to stop right here, that's all I would say. That's all I would say. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon him while he is near. Incline your ear to the Lord. Listen to him. Call upon him. Come to him. Fortunately, I've got a minute or two to go on and talk a little bit more about this fellowship. And let me just sort of briefly sketch some things about the fellowship. First of all, it was a fellowship 
of Christ. I've mentioned that, talk about that a little bit in a second. But it's a fellowship of generosity. The story here is the people forgot all about their own personal interest and began to be concerned about the fellowship, the sharing, the commonality, the group. They started taking care of each other. And they did what they needed to do to do that. This was not a a form of government that extracted from them confiscatory taxes and meted it out from those that have to those that have not. No, no, no. This was a people who had all, each and every one of them found the pearl of great price. And they'd counted everything else lost for Christ. And they had come and given everything that they were able to give to continue to live and to support. The most important thing in their mind was the maintenance of this fellowship, the fellowship, to share in Christ. These were people who had freely received and they were ready to freely give. This was the communion of the saints. This was the commonality of God's people and they were a generous fellowship. Let me scratch a few things out here as well. They were a fellowship of faith. We've covered this the last couple of weeks. Paul and Mark have with belief, doctrine, the word of God, the apostles' teaching. Basically paralleling what Jude calls in his epistle, using that same word koinonia, he called it the common salvation. Jude would write of the common salvation. That is the salvation which was true for each and every one of us. And it was the true teaching of the apostles witnessing faithfully to the words and the deeds, the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension, the prophecies, the parables, the teachings, the commandments, the commissions of Jesus Christ. They were also a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. My goodness, you couldn't get any fresher than this. (laughs) They had just come from Pentecost. What would it be like if we put a church together that had just been downtown at the temple when the Spirit of God fell. When the promised Spirit from all the ages, Ezekiel said it, Jeremiah said it, Hosea said it, Amos said it, Joel said it, over and over, Moses had predicted it, I will put my Spirit upon you and in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. It had been to the greatest revival. It was a revival of regeneration. When the Spirit came in Pentecost to God's people, it was like when the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. It was over darkness and over lostness and over depravity and sin and helplessness. And just like God in the creation of Genesis 1, the Spirit of God brooded, the Spirit of God infused and regenerated a new creation. There it was, this little band of believers growing now into several thousand. This was fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It was also a fellowship of worship. Scripture says here that that awe came upon all the people. And it was a reverential fear. If I was through preaching right here, I'd stop and say, that's what needs to happen. That's worship. Worship is when awe comes upon every soul. Has there been the awe of the transcendence of God, the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the magnificent magnitude and immensity of God? 
has that struck a terror in your heart that maybe he exists and maybe he has spoken and maybe he has acted and maybe he holds me accountable? If you've thought about that very much, you have a certain trepidation, a certain fear, a certain small anxiety will rise in the depth of your soul. Of how do I relate to this God? What do I know about this? What, do I, what is this God? No, it's not what I think about God. What does God think about me? They were a worshiping church because they had all, but besides that, it says they had, they praised. They were praising God, lifting up their heart in song, in song, in spiritual song, in ode, and in hymn. Couldn't have enough words. They had to go back and borrow everything that King David had said in the temple worship, in the tabernacle worship of the ancient Israelites, trying to find some way to, to pray. And about the best they could do was just come up with, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Worshiping. Is our fellowship, the fellowship, is it a worshiping in spirit and in truth? Fellowship? Well, I, I got to move on. This was, a, this was a church, a fellowship of joy. There was rejoicing. There was gladness. Why were they so glad? Nobody can imagine the joy of a blind man who's been given sight, a lost child who's been found, a woman who's recovered her lost coin, a father who's lost a son spiritually. What great joy, what great rejoicing. And that's exactly what was going on in this fellowship. This was a group of people that had been led out of darkness into light, as our confession said earlier. Christ had been raised from the dead. The people had been regenerated. The scripture talks about those who were being saved. They had found the fountain of life. This was a fellowship of separation. They came apart, they came together. In doing that, they begin to turn their back upon something else. They turned their back, their affections, their attention upon the world. Upon the mundane, upon the everyday, upon the natural and that which most people pursue. When we speak of the world, it's, it's a, it, there's a worldview and a worldly lifestyle. And it changes about as the centuries go and the generations come and go. There are different features, but it's always characterized by something that seems to leave God and Christ out of the mix. And these people in the fellowship had separated themselves. They had become counter-cultural. They had learned to press the antithesis to not go along with everything that was put in their way and ordered for them to do. But instead, it changed their whole worldview. It changed their whole lifestyle. They were, in fact, being delivered from this crooked generation. Let's turn on. These were a fellowship not only of separation and holiness to the Lord. They were not conformed to the world, but they were a fellowship of heritage. They realized they were part of the commonwealth of Israel. By the way, that word commonwealth is an outgrowth of that word kononia because the root idea is the word common, the commonwealth, the commonwealth of Israel. But now they realized that 
the seed of Abraham was not just physical, literal lineage of Abraham, because that was dubious and spurious at best. We had the descendants of Ishmael. We had the descendants of the, the, the sons of Keturah. We had all of these different things. We had Esau, who was a descendant, but was not a part of the covenant community, as Brother Jacob was. He wasn't. And on and on you can go, and it gets to be kind of confusing when you're reading the genealogy, but when you're looking at the, the seed, Jesus Christ, you realize you're part of the heritage. You're part of the seed of Abraham. All the promises were given to Abraham and to his seed. And if ye be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These people were beginning to realize that they, everything that God had promised Abraham, he had fulfilled in Christ. And they had come to know Christ and now. It was a fellowship of hope. Promise fulfilled. All the prophecies of the Old Testament had found their affirmative, their yes in Christ. And they began to realize that and understand. It was a fellowship of family. John writes letter, later in his letter, he writes that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. When you get right down to it, that was the, the fellowship, was a familial family ship. It was, it, it was a, a fellowship with family, a family ship. It was that which engendered their kinship and made them, in fact, brothers and sisters. It was a brotherhood. They found themselves to be children of the living God. Well, I'll conclude with one flash forward and go to St. Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi and look at one verse. Here's what Paul says, and I think this needs to be where we end up. Paul's talking about loss and gain, loss and gain. What he had worked to gain, what he had counted or reckoned. It's, it's, accounting, it's accounting language. It's a balance sheet. Loss and gain. Profit and loss statement. That's what it really is. And he's reckoning these things. And he's seen all these things that he thought were, was gain in his life. Education, prestige, money, community, status, reputation. Paul had all that. But he counted it all as loss. And listen to what he says. That I may know him, that is Christ, and the power of his resurrection, that I may share, that I may kononia, that I may fellowship in his suffering. That's where it all starts. If you're to be, to par be a part of this fellowship, the fellowship, it comes through the participation in the death of Christ. You've got to see Christ's death upon the cross, an atoning death, a saving death, a reconciling death, a cleansing death, a death that accomplishes all of the remedies for the malady that is your condition. And all of that is yours by grant, by gift, by grace from Jesus Christ. When he hung on that cross, he was not bearing his sins. We thought he was smitten, stricken of God. But no, 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the participation in his death is to see what he has done for you in a substitutionary, vicarious, loving, sharing, giving. Christ did not come down to bestow salvation upon us. He came to save us. There's a difference. This is his suffering, his death. And Paul campaigns for becoming like him in death that I may by means possible attain the resurrection. That's where the power is. If Christ had died for all of our sins and he had stayed dead and we would have been atoned, then we would have all died atoned. But the point of the gospel is to redeem, to restore, to bring back to life, to recover more than was lost, to bring about a new Adam, a new creation, a new humanity, a new, a new, uh, uh, a new fellowship. 